May the word of your truth sink deep into our hearts today. The great God of the universe, the God who created all things, has come near. And as we've heard, has taken on the form of a, a servant, a, a baby, and has walked among us. Take us deeper into that truth, Lord Jesus, today. Find us with our eyes open and our hearts open to see you, to respond to you. Open your word to us now. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I was able to take a ride along this, this week with one of our police officers, and uh, it's my privilege to do that. And um, in the course of our conversation, as we were cruising Chaska here, and, and um, a topic came up of some regional training that the officers had recently been to, and, and, and um, the way he described it was this. My colleague and I were sitting there at this regional training during a break time. We were having lunch together, and somebody, another officer came over and sat down with us, and, and uh, we just started engaging in conversation and found out where he was from, and et cetera, et cetera. It's a regional training, so they came from all kinds of cities around the area and, and um, came to realize after quite a long time of conversation that, that the person that they were talking to was actually the chief of police in the city that they were from. And what struck me, what struck my friend is not so much that he was chief of police, but that he didn't feel the need to, to wave the banner for that. He didn't feel the need to stress his authority or, or dress differently so that everybody would know that I have this role and this authority. My friend was struck by the humility, came dressed as a, as a regular patrol officer, full gear on, and just didn't care about his position or title or authority. Scripture tells us that Jesus, in, in all of his eternal glory, took on the form of a servant. In fact, Philippians 2 tells us that he made himself nothing and he took on our likeness. So last week, last week we talked about the identity of Jesus pre-incarnation, pre-Christmas. And what a glorious picture it is of our creator, of our sovereign Lord. and he's, he's over all things and yet this king of glory came and walked among us. We've, he looked like us. He lived like us. He was tempted as we are. He confronted the same kinds of circumstances and trials that we do. And looking, as a, looking at Jesus as a common man of the day, you could sit and have lunch with him without knowing that you're actually eating with the king of glory. Until that is, he began to speak to you. Then you'd realize that at a minimum, at a very minimum, there's something unique about this person. As John, the Apostle John continues his introduction of King Jesus in, in his gospel, the Lagos of God, the Word of God, he leads us to the incarnation. And that's where we're at this morning. The entrance of Jesus as the God-man into the world. And as he explains the incarnation to us, we're confronted with a decision on who Jesus is and how we respond to that revelation of who Jesus is. The title of Emmanuel, God with us, leaves us in absolute wonder. 
but it also compels us to a decision. And I think in our, in our time of worship this morning, through scripture and through song, we've been able to express the wonder of who God is and what he has done as Emmanuel to come near to us. I'd like to take his word this morning from the Gospel of John and explore it a little bit more. What does it mean that Jesus is the word of God, Emmanuel, God with us? Turn with me to John chapter 1, if you would, please. Our text actually begins at verse 9 this morning, but as we often do, I'd like to start a little, little prior, some prior to that so we can work our way into the text. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Amen. So in the first five verses of John, we saw that Jesus is eternal. This is what we worked on last week, that that he's the living word of God, the logos. Jesus is God. And as such, John told us that Jesus is the light and the life of men. We also, we also learned of the tension between the light and the dark. And try as it may, darkness cannot overcome the light. That's verses 1 through 5. And now Jesus explains that, now John explains that Jesus is the true light and was about to step into the world. Now the idea of true, true light, would tell us that this isn't a false light. It's not an imposter. This is the real deal. That this light is the genuine light of life sent from God. In fact, God himself. Just to emphasize that this was God about to step into the world. We can't say that enough. And he says that the light would enlighten every man. I want you to catch that this morning. You see, we are not the light. John goes out of his way to explain that John the Baptist was a witness to the light, not the light itself. Jesus gives us his light and his life. We are illumined by him. We are a reflection of his glory. We're a reflection of the light that comes from him. We are not the light, but we are witnesses to the light. He is the source. He is the life. He is the light. And he gives that light to us that we might share it with others. We are a reflection of who Jesus is. John goes on to tell us that Jesus, the creator of the world, had come into the world. And we just can't say this often enough. We can't overemphasize this. The creator of the world... He who set the planets and the stars in their paths. He who superintends over all creation. He who sustains all of creation by his will, by, the, by his very breath. He who is over all nations, 
He who is over all people. That's the one who is coming into the world. The Lord of all of creation was stepping out of his glory and coming to walk among us. I feel like I've said that a hundred times. And combined with our worship, I feel like we're just saying it over and over and over again. But I don't think we can, I don't think we can get to the bottom of that. That the God of the universe, we, we, can't, we can't begin to picture him in all of his splendors seated on the throne. We can't begin to picture the glory of God, the visible light that comes from God himself taking on the form of a child and stepping into our world, our messed up, sin-filled world. Now, we would expect when he does come into the world that, that he would come in all of his splendor, that he'd, he'd come accompanied by angels, by light, by glory, that he would come demanding worship by everyone. But he didn't. He came as an infant. He was born among the animals. He, he came as a young boy growing up as any other Galilean boy. He came as a young man making his way as a carpenter. He was interning under his earthly father in a trade. If you sat across from him at lunchtime, you would never suspect that you were in the presence of the creator of the universe. That's the wonder of the incarnation. God has come near. As we move deeper into our passage today, we go to verse 10. He's coming to his own. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, John goes on to explain that, that, that Jesus came to his own, to his own people. Here was the creator of the world walking on the soil that he made, among the people that he made, He's walking in the world that owes its, its entire existence to the will of God, to his design, to his power, to his authority. His own refers not only to the world that we live in, but to his people. The Jews were created for God's glory. They were set apart for his purpose, his purpose of making himself known to the nations of the world. It was to them that he appeared at the mountain. He appeared in thunder and fire and lightning. It was, it was a, an awe-filled scene when God came near on the mountain and appeared to the people of Israel, to Moses. So awesome was it. The ground shook and the people were afraid in the presence of God. So much was his glory. It was to them that he revealed his glory. It was to them that he gave his law. It was to them that he offered a covenant relationship. And I don't want you to miss this. God himself was walking and living among all that he created and everything that he brought to life, yet they didn't recognize him. So when I think about this, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Here was a young man from Galilee it's a rural region not known for producing religious superstars. He was a simple carpenter. He's unschooled in the rabbinical schools. He looked more like a regular guy than he did the Son of God. Until that is, you got to know him. Until you sat down, until you had lunch with him, until you talked with him about life. 
came to the world as a servant. He came as a teacher. His, his inaugural teaching came to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. It was there that the Son of God set himself apart. He had the words. He had the knowledge. He had the authority of a prophet. People couldn't figure out where this absolute teaching authority came from. He came performing miracles. He started by turning water into, into fine wine. John said that in, in John 2, verse 11, John said that the wine was his first miracle and it revealed his glory. The world was beginning to get a glimpse of who this Jesus is. And then by his miracles, he would go on to raise the dead. He would, he would go on to heal lepers, to give sight to the blind. We could go on and on about the miracles that he, that he performed, proving that he had, he had power over nature, over all of creation. He had the authority of God. And in all of these things, he revealed the Father to the world. The Son of God had put flesh and bones on God himself. In Jesus, the world would know the fullness of God. Here was God who had come to his own. If we go on to verse 11, second part of verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. I hope, I hope this morning that the, the thought of him not being recognized, of him not being welcomed, of him not being received, I hope that hits us like a ton of bricks this morning. I hope that causes us to just kind of take a big gulp and say, how in the world is that possible? Turn with me over to Mark chapter 6, if you would. I think Mark gives us a little description of an incident that helps us to understand this concept. Mark chapter 6, I'll start at verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples, by the way, when John says that he came to his own, it's the word for hometown. So it's the same idea. Just fun fact. I'll start over. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? And here it is. Here's the tension. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and, and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? Isn't this a regular guy from a regular family? Where in the world does all this come from? I added that. I did, that's not in the text. Listen to this. I love this. And they took offense at him. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And then it goes on, verse 5, Mark makes this commentary. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. 
see, that's the tension that we're trying to, to get inside of this morning is here's, here's Jesus performing his miracles, giving his teaching with authority, and yet the people didn't know what to do with it, and Jesus is astonished at their unbelief. They chose, instead of looking to Jesus, instead of saying, who are you, and I will follow you like the disciples did, they chose unbelief. And what a, what a 21st century comment. They were offended by him. You suppose they, they probably didn't know the word snowflake back in those days. They were offended by him. And there's the question. How in the world could Jesus come to his own and how could he be rejected? How could they not see who he is? How could they see his miracles and hear his teaching and not conclude as Peter and the disciples did? And I'm thinking also of the Roman centurion at the cross. How could they not conclude that surely this man is the son of God? How in the world is that possible? So I'd like to take a look at that question from the perspective of both the Christmas narrative and the gospel narrative as well. There were characters in the story who rejected Jesus. The first one that comes to my mind, and probably yours too, is that of Herod. Oh, that was in the notes, wasn't it? No? Okay, no cheating. Herod's the first logical look at someone who would reject Jesus as Emmanuel. When the wise men came and inquired of King Herod, of the king that was born in Israel, Herod immediately began to plot against him against this newborn king. His rejection would ultimately lead, lead, ultimately lead him to kill all male children under two years old in order to, in his desperation, to eradicate the child king. So the question to me is, why would he do that? What drives a man to act so desperate and so jealous and so evil? What drives a man to do that? with only the news that a king is born. Was it jealousy? Was it his quest for power? Was it insecurity in his role as king? Or was it that he was simply an arrogant, wicked, evil man? And he was certainly all of that. Whatever it was, he would do anything. He would even reject the king, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, he would even reject Jesus in order to hold on to his position and his authority. His selfishness blinded him to the presence of God. His selfishness blinded him to what God was doing right in front of him. And then we move on. And all through the gospel, the religious leaders stood in the way of Jesus, stood in the way of his ministry, kept trying to trip him up, kept trying to, to make accusations of him. And like Herod, they were concerned for their power. They were concerned for their title. They were concerned for their influence with the people. They were territorial, and they were jealous for their positions. And above all, I think beyond that and above that, is the fact that they had, a, they had a form of religion. They had their concept of what God should look like. They had a concept of what religion should look like. They had a concept of what tradition should look like. 
They had a, time, they had a nice, nice packaged up little box of what they think spiritual life should look like. And Jesus was interrupting that from every angle. From all of his teaching interrupted that. He went right at them and he even, he even called them by what they were, a brood of snakes, whitewashed sepulchers. But they were desperately trying to hold on to their position. They were desperately trying to hold on to their influence into the lives of people, their control, their manipulation of the people around them. When in the presence of Jesus, they could no longer walk around with their heads held high and their, and their hands folded across their chest and, and, and in their arrogance, looking down at the people around them, they could no longer do that in the presence of Jesus in his teaching. Jesus came with, his, with his, his teaching concerning the law. We, we studied that this last year in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came and turned that all upside down. Jesus came presenting his radical views on what God's grace looks like, what, what God's forgiveness looks like. And, and he came speaking of the way to God and, what, and how the Father has revealed himself to them through him. And yet, for the sake of their religious influence and their grip on people, they rejected Jesus. Emmanuel, God with them. They didn't recognize him. As I think about that, I go back to our time in Eastern Europe and, and, the, and the, the religion of, of, of Romania, the Orthodox Church, and, and the people would even say, don't, don't, don't follow the priests because their example was so poor. And yet they had this tight grip and they would pay huge sums of money to have religious ceremonies done, baptisms, weddings, funerals, huge sums of money to the priests in order for them to come. And I think they had this, this, this grip on people that was a religious fervor. It was not the gospel. It was not the gospel. I think of that. Or right here in our own culture, right here in our own Christian culture, do we have... We have ministry leaders who, are, who are, are so bound up in their ministries that if Jesus came and told them that they needed to do something different, could they, could they respond to it? Or are we so wrapped up in our identity, in those things that we don't see Jesus around us? What about, what about us common folks who, who are seeking the form of religion and some, so many people will be going to church this Christmas, this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, Seeking God, and then the rest of the year, they're gone. Seeking Jesus in some sort of a religious ceremony, some sort of religious structure, some sort of just give me a little bit, a little shot of religion, and then I'll be good for the rest of the year. But when Jesus calls on them and says, obey me and follow me, and this is the way to go, walk in it, then we don't have time. We don't have any understanding. We have no grasp because we don't recognize who it is that's speaking to us. Because he fits, he doesn't fit in a nice little package, and therefore I go on my own way the rest of the year. Now I'm preaching. The Romans, they had no time for Jesus. They even mocked him as a Jewish rebel that was, it was not worth their attention. They mocked him, they derided him. But listen to this, in the Roman culture, they too had their idols and their pagan forms of worship. And if Jesus were allowed to permeate their world, he would upset 
all of their culture, all of the things that they put their emphasis on, all of their, 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 their family deities and things like that would all be upset if Jesus were allowed to invade their culture. Had, had they welcomed Jesus as Emmanuel, their whole worldview, their religion, their culture would all be undone. I wonder if we see that today as well. And then there are the Jews themselves. I'm speaking of just the, the regular common people of the day. Maybe we see them in the innkeeper in the Christmas story, too busy to pay attention to Jesus. Maybe we see it in the average Jewish person as they'd be caught between, listen to this, be caught between two authorities. One would be the teaching of Jesus, this new radical teaching that this, this teacher from Galilee is presenting. And, and the other pressure that they would, they would sense is, is that of the religious leaders telling them to reject this Jesus, reject this teaching, come back and stay in our grip. And I think that tension was going on between them constantly. Do I follow Jesus or do I follow what the religious leaders are telling me to do? Maybe... Maybe for the average person, maybe it was a, a fear of oppression that kept them from acknowledging that God was in their midst. Maybe if they, if they acknowledged Jesus as Emmanuel, if they acknowledged Jesus as truly this man was the son of God, they would be fearful of the pressure that would come down on them, the oppression. Maybe, as I think about it, maybe it was simply an ignorance of God's word. Maybe they just didn't understand what the Messiah would come as, what the Messiah would look like according to Scripture. Maybe that kept them from seeing God as Emmanuel. We'll talk more about this next week, but maybe, maybe they didn't understand the prophecies related to the coming Messiah. And this is a concern I have for today. We'll talk more about it next week. I wonder if we don't understand the days that we're living in because we don't understand the prophecy of Scripture. And it always, it never ceases to amaze me how in the world they could miss Jesus as Emmanuel when it was so plainly stated in Scripture. How could they not understand, especially the religious leaders, those who prided themselves on knowing every, every single letter of Scripture, and yet Jesus came, walked among them, showed himself as God himself, and yet even in the light of Scripture, they couldn't understand it. And I'm fearful that we don't understand prophecy today. We don't understand the second coming of Christ. We won't miss that one, by the way. We won't miss it. We just won't be ready for it if we're, if we're not ready for it. Now I'm off my script again. You see, whatever the motivation, John's description of the world should leave us breathless, speechless, the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came into the world to restore us in fellowship and relationship with God. He came to the world to show us the Father. He came to the world to teach us how to live in his kingdom. He came to the world to lead us out of death and into his abundant life. And the world did not welcome him. What do we do with that? In all these things, 
we see that there are issues that we need to overcome in order to take in the light of Jesus. It may be an ignorance of the word of God. Maybe we can no longer assume a general understanding of scripture in our culture today. Perhaps, perhaps this is the first time you or someone else has heard that God has taken on human form. That God has come near you for your sake. Maybe, something, maybe one of the obstacles that, that we face is that we, we are afraid of the pressure to conform to the culture. It might be a fear of oppression. The examples are mounting daily of Christians who are being pressured to conform to the world. A biblical worldview is more and more not tolerated and goes beyond that, even punished. Brothers and sisters, in a world where Jesus said the days of Noah would mark the end of the age. And in the days of Noah, Noah was not listened to. The word of God was not heeded. The word of God was mocked and ridiculed. Brothers and sisters, we are, we are sailing into the days of Noah. Chinese Christians are being imprisoned and even killed for speaking out in their faith. In the Muslim world, Christians are suffering great persecution. And here in America, if you don't say the right thing, if you don't believe the right thing, and if you don't promote the secular agenda, agenda you run the risk of overt persecution. Recognizing Jesus for who he is comes at an increasingly high price. Maybe that's an obstacle for us. It could be that one of the obstacles for us not recognizing Jesus is that we're worshiping other things in our life that we're, just, we're unwilling to give up. Idolatry takes on many forms. We begin with materialism as an obvious one. Our, our political agendas, our career pursuits, our own pleasure, our own security, our own motivations are all things that we intentionally or indirectly seek with our whole hearts. Our hearts are designed for worship, but what we worship is always challenged is as we seek to know Jesus. What is it that we worship? Or one of the obstacles for us could be simply, as Scripture would have it, we have a stone-cold heart. It could be that we just have a hard heart that refuses to see Jesus. A hard heart that refuses to let the light of Jesus in. At the end of the day, Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. In fact, one of the promises that comes from acknowledging Jesus as Emmanuel is found in, in Ezekiel 36. He says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So maybe one of our problems is the fact that I have let a hardness set into my heart and I can no longer see the light of Jesus. Herod is an example of a heart that is absolutely stone cold regarding Jesus. Our hearts need to be examined for this hardness as well. Would our heart recognize Jesus even with all the facts that we have on him? Or will we refuse? A friend of mine tells of a, a relative who kept God at arm's length for many years. Later in life, he began to recount the events of his life. 
as he did so, he came to the realization that God had been with him all along. Emmanuel had come near, and after many years, he gave his life to Christ, recognizing Jesus. Another friend tells of a time when he was about to do something incredibly foolish. A voice clearly told him to stay away from the folly. And later, when recognizing the lordship of Jesus in his life, he realized that the voice that he heard that night was Jesus. Coming to Christ makes us realize that Emmanuel is indeed walking with us. The question is whether we'll hear it and whether we'll receive it. John goes on to give us the good news that Jesus, God with us, offers us new life if we welcome him into our lives. Generally, we like to lead ourselves through examination and wind up at the good news of Jesus. That's, 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 the, that's the idea, right? As, as a preacher, I'm told, I always have to wind up with the good news. We don't like to leave the thought. We don't like to leave the discussion simply with the examination of our hearts. We want to quickly jump to the fact that of verses 12 and 13, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We want to land there. But you know, I never do things the way I'm supposed to do it. Because today, I just want to leave it at the examination. One of the principal purposes of the Advent season is to examine our hearts. If, I don't know if you caught it this morning, but the, the, the Christmas hymns that we, we sing, many of them are quite sober. Many of them recognize that we are living in a darkness and we need the light of Jesus. The good news comes at Christmas with Emmanuel, God with us. Until, the, until then, John the Baptist would say, we need to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. That's the season of Advent. And that's why I'm comfortable leaving it at examination today. Advent is a time to examine our hearts. Now, out of all the things that I listed from the characters in the narrative, maybe one of those things has landed on your heart today. Yes, indeed, there is an obstacle there. The light of Jesus can't get through because I have fill in the blank. And so I have some questions for you this morning. We need to ask the Lord to examine our hearts and when we do that, we need to honestly come before him and say, Lord, shine your light by your Holy Spirit on my heart and see if there's any, any wicked way. See if there's anything that needs to be rooted out. And I'd ask these questions. Have you welcomed him into every aspect of your life? And I'm going to make the assumption that there are still some things that that need to be turned over in our lives. I don't think I'm the only one in that category. Okay, somebody help me out here. Leave. Okay, thank you. Don't leave me standing here by myself. So then the question is, what stands in the way of my seeing and welcoming him? What is it that stands in the way? 
What is it that influences me away from Jesus? And here's a, here's a question, and, I, and I've been considering this. What, how have I misunderstood my greatest need? And here's what I mean by that. This week, the elders and I, we, we meet to study God's word together, and we had, a, we had an inter- interesting discussion this week, and, and um, I won't go into the whole thing. It's rather lengthy, but we were examining um, an article and looking at it from the sense of the gospel and whether it was, whether it was really gospel-focused or not, and uh, just looking at it theologically. And what I realized is that the author of the article didn't understand the greatest need of, of mankind. There was no talk of sin. Um, there, was, there was talk of other things that we as Christians need to address, and they're all good things, right? Compassion, missions, you just fill in the blank. They're all good things. But the problem is if we do all those things, we might, we might put salve on a wound, we might fix a temporary situation, but we won't address the need of the gospel. Oftentimes, we think our greatest need is something different than what the gospel says it is. I have a newsflash for you this morning. Climate change is not our greatest need. I have a newsflash for you this morning. Our our government is not the answer to our problem. I have a newsflash for you. Poverty will always be with us, and we need to keep working on it, but it's not our greatest need. So I could go on giving news flashes, and you know how to fill in the blanks. And we, we are told constantly, and, and, and as a pastor, I'm, always, I, I'm, I'm constantly being told by somebody, you need to be preaching on this, or else you're not, you're not preaching the whole gospel of God. You need to do this, and this, and this, and this, and it makes my head spin. What is our greatest need? Our greatest need is Jesus. Our greatest need is, is forgiveness of sin. Our greatest need is, is to have our lives transformed by Jesus Christ himself so that we can walk in his abundance and then the other things will fall into place. But the problem is, so I'm asking myself, so I'm asking myself, do I understand what my greatest need is? Do I understand that I'm a sinner in desperate need of grace and that let everything else come in behind it? But too often, and that's the reason I have the question, what is, what is it that influences me away from Jesus? The reason I'm asking that question is because oftentimes we put our greatest need as we fill in the blank with something that isn't on God's mind. God says, I want you. In order to do that, I need to root out the sin, which I've already done at Calvary. I've already done it for you. The price has already been paid. So once you step into it, once you let me be my, your Lord and Savior, And let me decide what is the greatest need for you. And let Jesus be the greatest solution you have and then follow Jesus. And I I assure you, everything else will fall into place. And finally, I challenge each of us to go home and reread the Christmas story this week. We spent time this morning talking about those who didn't see the light those who didn't understand Emmanuel, God, with them. I would challenge you this week to go home and read the Christmas story again, and this time, look at the characters who did see it. Look at, look at Elizabeth and Zechariah, look at, look at Mary, and look at Joseph, and, and look at Simeon and Anna and, 
And look at all those, who, all those characters in the Christmas narrative and ask yourself, how is it that they saw Emmanuel? And how did they respond? And why did they respond the way they did? And I think it's a beautiful study. A beautiful study. And then, brothers and sisters, ask yourselves, do I recognize Emmanuel, God, with us? And let it be a time of great worship this week. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're walking this road of Advent to prepare our hearts. As, as, as you, you sent John, the messenger, to proclaim, prepare the way of the Lord, to repent. And may this time of, of Advent, may this, may this be a time of getting into your word, may it be a time of reflecting on you as Emmanuel, as, as creator, as sovereign, as Lord over all things. May it be a time to meditate on you as our Messiah, our Redeemer. And Lord, may, may our hearts be, be driven to profound places because of our time with you. Would you open our eyes to see you, our Emmanuel, this week? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. On your way rejoicing.